Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. During this, this time when everything in the world has barely been turned upside down, we as a church have been looking at What does God want to do when there's a need for renewal, when there's a need for new life, when there's a need for what we've often called revival? And so we're looking at God's blueprint and how we can enter into that blueprint in order to experience the fullness that he has planned for us in every season of our life. And so I've been taking the blueprint from Acts chapter 2, the, the church and the aftermath of Pentecost had something incredibly special, something wonderful taking place. We've been looking at this passage together about, about the five elements that were present all at once in that same place with that diverse group of people. And those scriptures in Acts chapter 2, said that they were devoted to in-depth teaching, the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to in-depth friendship, fellowship, koinonia it's called in Greek. There was a worship vibrancy. There was prayer. There was worship that was taking place formally and informally. There was an aggressive sharing of their faith, not obnoxiously so, but in such a way that every day the Lord was adding to their number. And last week we talked about the fact that as the Holy Spirit was present with new life in this diverse community, social concerns were not just questions, but there were solutions, there were answers. Social concerns provoked social compassion, which produced social healing. And so today we want to talk about, well, one of these five elements uh, I like Tim Keller calls them the five vitamins of life in the church that is alive, that is, that is vibrant, that is a revived church. Today we want to look at koinonia, we want to look at fellowship, community, about what it really means to be not only a family of God, but people with deep spiritual friendships who actually have entrance into each other's lives. In some ways, the social compassion doesn't take place without fellowship. The social healing doesn't take place unless there is a level of trust that comes from the depth of friendship between the people in relationship. And so we want to look at that aspect of koinonia. And the question that I want to ask you, as, as we have gone through what will be a historic year, 2020, has the Lord been speaking to you about how deeply you need friendships, how deeply you need relationship, both in terms of missing those friendships, but also in terms of how much they have meant to you and maybe you have taken them for granted, whether it's a uh, time you're getting to spend with your family or having to relate to people in a, in a, through technology instead of face-to-face, you begin to realize 
that this is an essential part of life. If life is to be sweet, it has to be shared with other people. But we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to open up our own lives and let people in. And we have to be willing to, to open up our vulnerability so that we can enter into the worlds and the lives of other people. This has always been the will of Jesus. So we're going to look at what does Jesus base our koinonia on? What does Jesus model our koinonia on? What, what fellowship is he talking about? Because obviously it's not merely doing some games together or merely doing some suppers together. It's got to be that, it, that there is a level of love and a level of friendship that we can actually depend on one another and protect one another. So here's what Jesus teaches comes from John chapter 17. This is what they saw at Pentecost. This is the kind of relationship, the kind of community, and the kind of unity that they experienced. Because this is what Jesus will anoint when it comes to friendship, when it comes to community, when it comes to unity. Listen to what he says. This is our Lord's desire for you personally, but it's also our Lord's desire for his church. I do not ask, he's asking the Father here, this is his high priestly prayer, and he's asking the Father, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. Jesus is praying for you right here. And what does he pray? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So this passage is a lot about the Trinity and the actual unity and the community that takes place between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, is asking His Father in this great prayer. He is asking that you and I, who are believers, way years later from the time He prayed this prayer, He is asking His Father that we would experience unity together, that we would commune with one another, that we would be in each other's lives, that we would be not only important to each other, but reliable and trustworthy with one another. And he is saying, number one, is that Jesus' view of the church and the view that I want us to get as a church is that the church should be just like the unity and the community of the Trinity. That there should be, there should be a, a, a remarkable resemblance between the love the church has for one another 
and the love the Father has for the Son, the Son for the Father, and the Holy Spirit as the expression of the Father and the Son's love. That anything less than that is really not the church. Because if the church doesn't look like the the community of the Trinity, then the church is not the church. That's how important this is to Jesus. (laughs) It's kind of fascinating just in a practical level that surveys have been done throughout the years asking people, why do you return to churches after your first visit? And the answer, number one always, is that they feel loved. They feel a remarkable sense of belonging. They feel a remarkable sense of welcome. Even more important than music, even more important than the children's ministry, even more important than the preaching, they want to experience love. Friendship, connection. These things don't happen easily, particularly when you think about a first visit to a place or to you know, a group of people to feel like you are going to become friends, to feel like you have an immediate sense of connection. <laughs> In a way, we're talking about one of the most difficult things to happen here in, in, in a building or in an organization is to make everyone feel like they belong, to make everyone feel like they are loved, like, like they matter. So one of the things that you have to understand, and one of the things that I, I really want to drill down on today, is that unity is never uniformity. They are not the same thing. Uniformity in the body of Christ is actually impossible. Now, what that means is that you could get a group of people who all looked exactly alike and they would still fight. You get a group of people all from the same culture, the same language, and they would still see things differently. And why is that? Because God has ordained diversity. He has ordained a diversity of gifts, He has ordained a diversity of personalities. Just even if you had people from the same culture and the same town and whatever it might be, there would still be in their midst a diversity of gifts and personalities. It is impossible to have conformity and have a healthy body. Unity must exist in diversity. And so because we tend to be afraid of diversity and because we tend to not know how to have unity without manipulating it, there is this temptation that even believers have in churches to only see the world and to see the problems in the church through their own gifts or through their own personality or wiring. So that the same problem or the same situation can cause conflict and crisis. And often it is not because people are bad people in that regard. It is more because they are seeing the crisis or they are seeing the problem through their own gifting and through their own wiring. You know, there's a a question sometimes that people, you know, answer and their answer begins to reveal what kind of gifting or what kind of experiences they have had or what, what kind of personality that they have. And so that if someone asks the question like, oh, what's the matter with the United States? Well, your answer would reveal 
your gifting, your experiences, your personality. If you ask the question, what's wrong with the church today? Your answer would reveal the gifting, the experiences, the personality. What's wrong with the family? What's wrong with marriage? You could ask any question, and the temptation would be to only have an answer that comes out of your own experience, out of your own gifting, and out of your own personality. Now, I have seen this in all the churches that I've pastored over the years. I began pastoring back when I was 24 years old, and within a few days of moving into the parsonage, I had different visitations from uh, different elders of the church who all came and told me what was wrong with the church. Now, I didn't, I didn't have this kind of insight of saying, you know what they're revealing is they're revealing their personality, they're revealing their experiences and values, they're revealing their gifting. But in my experience, I, I had this happen over and over again. And when I was studying for this message, I came across a pastor who was 24 when he began his pastoral ministry. And he tells the story of going to a church and asking the church the question because the church was declining. And he asked the church the question, what do you think is wrong with this church? Why is it declining? And so numerous people gave him answers, but he tells the story of three distinct people who gave him three distinct answers that were very helpful to me. Uh, this may just be my therapy time today, but, but uh, it's incredibly helpful for me because I, I, you know, it's like, why do people look at things and, and with total sincerity, and why do they, they come up with solutions that are completely different and then often oppose one another because their solutions are different. And this is really the answer, friends. When you try to conform everybody, when they have diverse gifts and they have diverse personalities, and you try to reach conformity, you will never reach unity. And so here this pastor said three people that he, that he noted. One said, well, there's a trailer park across from our... Our church, it's all run down. It's, it's, it's people that are you know, very needy and, and, and of a different strata of society. And he said, they've been there for years across from our church, and we are a church that doesn't care about the lost. We're not an evangelistic church. Well, what was he expressing? He was a person with an outreach gifting, an evangelistic gifting. So when he saw a problem, he saw it through the eyes of we need to reach them for Jesus. And that's all he would think about. And so the church wasn't reaching the trailer park. So the problem was the church was not evangelistic. Another person came in all broken up as well as the question was, what's wrong with our church and she said, oh, over there are people, they're elderly, they're, they're poor, they're needy, they're from different races and culture, they're not like us. And this church has never had a heart of compassion. We've never really cared about justice or, 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 or you know, crossing the racial barriers. Well, what was she expressing? She was expressing that she had a gift of mercy. She was expressing that she had a compassionate gifting. And, and, and so when she looked at the problems of the church, she looked at it through, we need to be a church of compassion, and we're not. And there was a third one. And this, uh, again, of course, 
all three of them are pointing at this one trailer park across from the church, and they're all saying, that's where the problems of this church lie. But each one of them is saying it completely different, and none of them are hearing one another. But the last one came to him and said, you know, we've tried to reach out to them. We've visited them. We've given them food. We've given them clothing. We've done all these outreaches, he says, but we are disorganized. We are an administrative disaster. And so you know what his gifting was? He had an organizational gifting. He was at a gift of administration. So he's looking not at the compassion needed. He's not looking at the evangelism needed. He's looking at the administration that's lacking and says we're, as a church, an organizational administrative disaster. Well, what happened, according to the pastor, is these three people fought each other all the time. Because instead of listening and saying, you know what, there's something to the fact that we're not an evangelistic church. There's something to the fact that we're not a church of compassion. There's something to the fact that we're an administrative problem. But by only saying it's just this and nothing else, and not listening, and not going for unity, but trying to get everyone to conform to their way of looking at things, it brought disunity and destruction to that church. You see, if your goal or my goal is that we be a church of conformity, it's already never going to happen. It must be a church in which there is unity in the midst of diversity. And for that to happen, <laughs> the church has to be understood as a body not a merger of parts, but actually a living, vital, connected body that wasn't created by us. And so again, I go back to the basis of our relationship as a church, the basis of our interactions as a church have got to be the same way that the love and communion and community flow between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the organic aspect of relationship, the, the way that we, we love deeply, the way that we love with wisdom and understanding and discernment, and the way that we listen and enter into each other's lives will then reveal the health of the church. It reveals the health of the church in the way that we have relationships with each other. And the truth is, if we really begin to understand this, our unity is received. It's not a unity that's achieved. Ephesians 4.3, the unity of the Spirit is not something we create. It comes to us and we maintain it. You see, I'm not unified with you because you're like me. I'm unified with you because the Spirit who brought me into this church is the same Spirit that brought you into this church. And I'm not talking about Risen King. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our unity is received. And what Paul says, if there is any unity of the Spirit, he says if there's any unity of purpose, if there's any unity in terms, then we are to maintain it. If we have come to Christ, Christ has placed us in the church, in His body, organically, vitally, 
And He has asked us now maintain what you have received from, from the Holy Spirit. So, <laughs> let, me, let me, I like this a lot because I really think the church has got to be more than a program and an organization. It has got to be something that is remarkably, indescribably visible, you know, a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And so I'm going to take you back to a historical biblical illustration to help you understand what Jesus and what the Holy Spirit have been doing in your life all along, bringing you to this moment and then saying, will you join the Holy Spirit in what he's doing? Because your involvement in the church of Jesus Christ is vital to your life, your destiny, your fulfillment, your satisfaction. Without it, you will always be a lesser you. And here's why. All right, so we go back to how, how God ordered the building of the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, this is historical biblical illustration. In building the temple, this is God's orders for the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. No hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. All right, so li listen to this. Think through this. They had to have stones in order to build the walls, in order to build the temple. But they could not build them, shape them at the temple. They had to cut them. They had to shape them. They had to do all the noise. They had to do all the back-breaking work. It all had to be the quarry. So that then when they brought the stones together, having been measured, having been shaped, having been chiseled. Now they brought the stones to the site of the temple, and guess what? They fit. All the prep work had been properly done. They had been measured appropriately. They'd been hammered. They'd been chiseled to a perfect fit. And so the stones fit together, one next to the other. Huh, what does that mean? Well... You are the living stones of the temple of God. Listen to me. Your life, your experiences, your tests, your trials, these are the hammer, the chisel, and the iron tools. Your life is the quarry. And the purpose of all that shaping and all of that chiseling and all of that hard work is so that you will come into fellowship and union and unity with other believers and you'll go, I fit with you. You fit with me. This isn't just a temporary building on earth that is a, a type of the eternal building. You are the fitted stones of the temple of our God, the eternal building of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, let me take a moment here. Please listen to me on this. The word church is, in a way, a, a word that has to be filled out with other words. It, it simply means the gathering together of the saints in a way. That's, that's really what church means. It's a gathering. And so there are these other words, body of Christ, bride of Christ. But one of my favorite ones is the building, the temple of our God. Everything that's going on in your life, what, what, what this picture shows 
is that your life has been the quarry. The tests have been the hammers. The people in your life have been the chisels. But it's also that when you come together and I come together in the church, we look and we say, we fit. We're the building stones of God. You see, we receive the unity. We don't attain it. I don't try to make you into a fit stone. I see how you fit. You don't make me into a fit stone. You see how I fit because the quarry is where the stones are being shaped. And you're not the quarry. And you're not the one shaping the stones. And the problem with many of us is we have been resistant to the unity that is ours, so we have been resistant to maintaining it. And what's happened is we have tried to conform people to what we think the stones ought to look like. And that is in direct resistance and rebellion against the Spirit of Christ who is building an eternal building, the very temple of our God. See, Jesus in his last high priestly prayer, is praying for our unity in our community. You think the Father didn't answer that? Of course the Father answered that. <laughs> That's the prayer he answers. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus' prayer for us, he says that, that they may be one just as we are one. Just as the unity of the Trinity is the source and the basis of our unity, also the way that they operate with one another, the way they relate to one another is the example and the model of church unity. All right, so we're going to stay right with the Trinity. How is it that the Trinity operates and relates in unity? Well, you know, it's important that you realize that the Bible reveals that we have one God, but that that one God exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you have, in the, very, in the very nature of God, you have unity in diversity. You have a tri-unity. One God distinctively existing in three persons. And their unity is seen, even in Jesus' prayer, your, his, the unity is seen in that He, the Father, and the Spirit have exactly the same Purpose. They are unified in the revealing the glory and the, the love and the beauty and the holiness of one another. They have the same purpose. Their unity is expressed that though they are diverse in their roles, they are united in their purpose. And this is the second one is you see them executing complementary roles. The Father obviously plans. The Son carries out the plan. And then the Spirit applies the benefits of the plan to us. Each having a, a role, each role complementary, willing to submit to one another in their roles, but never losing their status or their glory as they fulfill these complementary roles. And the third way, Jesus says it over and over again. They love one another. You look at this prayer. It is truthful. It is open. Father, glorify this hour. You know, Father, let my glory be seen. Don't let this be in any way 
wasted. May the whole world, he says, see that you sent me. So, all right, why did I tell you these things? <laughs> because the church has to reflect these. If we are really the church of the Holy Spirit, if we're really the church, the body of Jesus Christ, if we're really the temple of the living God, then we have to have these three things evident in us. This is the model. Same purpose. Glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorifying God. The same oneness. Though we are distinct in our roles and, and our gifts and we're distinct in our personalities, we are one in using those roles and those personalities to fulfill the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will not be a reality if all we are are doers who do not love one another as deeply as the Father loves the Son, as deeply as the Son loves the Father, as deeply as the love of the Father and Son are expressed in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is what the church is to model. That is what the church is to be. So Jesus is saying, here's the blueprint. The blueprint of fullness is when we, the church, receive what the Trinity is as our basis, our source, and our blueprint, our model in our corporate lives. So think about this with me. There are three things that I gave you from this prayer of Jesus that show us the unity of the Spirit. So the first thing that you and I have to realize is that whether you're, you're from another culture, you're from another language, you're from another ethnicity, another family, whatever it is, that that experience of coming to Christ is common no matter what your background is. We have all of us been taken to the quarry. We have all of us had the hammer taken to us. We have all of us had the chisel taken to us because the Spirit is molding us as living stones for the temple of God. And so instead of seeing each other as not fitting together, Every tongue, every tribe, every race goes to the quarry. We have a common experience in Christ and we come together and we fit together. Not because of those things that are from our biology or our past or our culture, but because of what Christ has done in the quarry with each of us. And then we recognize that just like the Spirit, just like the Son, just like the Father, we all have complementary roles, not competition roles. We don't have roles where I'm going to try to compare favorably to you so that I can be accepted. No, I've been given this role. I've been given a diversity of gifts. So in order for us to live out our community as the community of the Trinity, then we have to know and develop and deploy the gifts that the Spirit has given to us. So let's talk about this a little bit. What are spiritual gifts? What are these gifts that are given for us to carry out our roles? Well, Paul teaches really clearly on these in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. He teaches in Ephesians 4, and he makes a list also in Romans 12. So you can go and you can read those things, but I want to give a general idea. Well, the gifts are really abilities to do the things that Jesus did. That, that, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell, the gifts of the Spirit 
are so that what Jesus did, you will do. Because that's what Jesus promised. He said, the things I do, you will do. So there are diverse gifts, and they are given to us to be deployed in order to do the things that Jesus did. You see, if you're not doing the things that Jesus did, then you're not using your gifts. Because those gifts are not just so you'll exist. It's not just so you'll survive. Those gifts are so that what Jesus accomplished, healing the sick, raising the dead, seeing uh, authority in your speech, your teaching, your preaching, whatever it is, all of those things are the gifts he gives to every believer. Not just some believers, every believer. And these gifts, they come from the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus didn't just say, the things I do, you will do. He said, you will do greater than these. Um, let me illustrate this really quickly from what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Jesus made a comment about John the Baptist. He said, no one, up to this point, no one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. And then he said, but everyone who has the Holy Spirit will be greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus is laying out just kind of a mind-boggling uh, prophecy about your life. And he's saying that as you receive these gifts from the Holy Spirit, as these things that Jesus did, you and I together will do even greater than these. So in Ephesians 4, it says it this way, the ascended Christ gave out his own ministry abilities to us. Come on, would you receive that? As he ascended, he dispersed into his body, into the believers, his own ministry abilities. And you have been the recipient of his ministry abilities. Would you just make this an affirmation with me? I have received the ministry abilities of Jesus. Every time you want to say, I can't do something, say this, but I have received the ministry abilities of Jesus. So what is that for? Well, to accomplish every assignment, to reach your Christ-designed destiny. But here's the thing. I think the problem for many of us is we see the gifts, and we see this, this disbursement of the gifts, we see it as an individual thing. But when Jesus speaks, he doesn't say you individually. This is where it helps if you're from the South. Because here he said, y'all. You all. So you, you begin to understand something. If you really want to do what Jesus has prophesied that you can do, it will not be you taking your gift or gifts and accomplishing. It will have to be that we begin to bring our gifts together. You see, in a sense, what Jesus is really talking about here is when he dispersed his gifts, he dispersed them, he spread them out. No one person got all that Jesus has. Everybody got uh, a portion or a part of what Jesus had. And you only see the fullness of the gifts in operation when we come together. If you could put it like this, it's really what Jesus has designed the church as is a mosaic, where all the scattered pieces of gifting and ministry, 
of Jesus' abilities and Jesus' supernatural anointing and unction on your life, all of these things are you get a peace, I have a peace. And so then we bring them together, and as they are brought together, they're incredibly beautiful, fullness and glory. But what have we done? Well, if we even have been willing to believe that Jesus rules his church, that Jesus reigns in his church through the gifts, if we've even believed that, we've still tended to say, what's my individual gifting? And we have segregated and separated the pieces. So at one church, we got all the white pieces. At one church, we have all the black pieces. At another church, we have all the brown pieces. And you understand, that's not a mosaic. The mosaic is when all the scattered pieces, all the colored pieces, all the different pieces come together, and then the mosaic is beautiful and powerful and glorious. Otherwise, it's monotonous. It's boring. It's ineffective. I mean, we can talk for so many reasons why racism is wrong. And especially, we can talk about why racism is wrong in the church. But let's just talk about what Jesus intended for his temple. He intended a beautiful fullness mosaic. And he dispersed the pieces of the mosaic to the most unremarkable people. And then he said, you will only become remarkable when you bring the pieces together. And those pieces are every culture, every nation, every ethnicity. And when they are together, they are beautiful. I, I know I could talk on these things forever, but I do want to illustrate this just in one way. Throughout the Middle East, when I've traveled, particularly in Jordan, there are old 4th and 5th century churches. There are very little of them have walls left. None of them have roofs. But what they have is a mosaic, tile, beautiful colors of the desert, beautiful colors of the sunset and sunrise, beautiful colors. So many different colors all brought together. Over 1,500 years old, many of them. The walls are gone. The roof is gone. But the glory of that mosaic lives on. I'm asking you as we think about what God wants to restore, what God wants to renew, don't you think what he wants to renew is the original plan? You see, because when you use your gifts, Christ is present with you. When you use your gifts and, and when you offer your gifts, you see, not, not to use individually, but when you offer your gifts into the mosaic, then Christ accomplishes his ministry through you. In Ephesians 2.17, we have a, an example of this. It said, to, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He says, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Do you know where Ephesus is? It's in Turkey. Do you realize Jesus physically never went to Ephesus? He was never there. 
What is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying somebody went to Ephesus. But what he's saying is, it's just as if Jesus went. Do you not understand that everywhere you go, and everywhere you deploy your gifts, everywhere you allow Jesus' ministry abilities to be presented by you, Jesus is accomplishing his ministry through you. So when one gift is at work, yeah, it can still be beautiful. But it's really, really nothing like when all the gifts come together. In mosaic, in a place, and in a time. This is what I'm asking. Would you, would you join with me and say, Lord, we can have nothing less in Risen King. We can have nothing less wherever you are. We can have nothing less than a community based in the Trinity in a community that models the Trinity, that we ourselves will bring these pieces together. We'll bring them together of every race, of every culture, whatever languages God is calling us to. Sometimes it limits if we only have the one language. But can it be that we begin to realize that every gift present, that we need to be the glorious church that Jesus has called us to be, means every person present. Because in the fullness of Christ, it's when we all, having been, having been chiseled and, and hammered in the quarry, now we come together in the temple and we fit together. It's not a unity we achieve. It's a unity we receive. And it's a unity we maintain. Think about this with me. How did, this, how did the Trinity express their unity? Very simply, right? They were unified in purpose. Though they were diverse in giftings, they were united in how they carried out their roles. They submitted, subjected to one another. They had different roles, yet they carried them out in complementary ways. And they were always filled with love and openness towards one another. There's so much more on this I could say, but I'm going to stop here and just say, look, we are at the place where the fullness of Christ is bidding us to be remarkable, to be a mosaic, to bring every color together, to bring every gift together. And he is not wasting the quarry time. He's fitting us together. Will you pray with me? Lord, your high priestly prayer was that we would be united and that we would be in community with one another. You gave us the basis that it was how you're in community with the Father and the Spirit. We receive today for Risen King Church, for every church represented as we speak this message, we receive that unity from the Trinity. And we choose into it to unite purpose, to unite in oneness, complementary, though, though our gifts are diverse and our roles are distinct, that we will, we will do them in complementary unity instead of in competition and conformity. And Lord, we choose in, having been brought into the love that we didn't deserve. You said that you have given us to the Father to love us just as he loves you, that because we are in you, we are loved 
as you. And so now, Lord, we repent of only loving those who look like us. Only loving those that we could conform to our own, our own opinions, agendas, goals. We repent. And we ask that a new day, a new mosaic may begin of unity in diversity. We choose to maintain it in the bond of peace. Jesus, you are our peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.